welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast. What is going on, Glass Cannon Land? Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. My name is Joe O'Brien. And I'm Troy Fungfar Lavalley. Oh, you took his name as your middle name, did you, Troy? Oh, Fungfar. <laughs> <laughs> well, Troy, welcome back to this recap and behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon podcast. We haven't said that in a while, in case people forget what we do here No, it, it's Fodder. too long to put on merchandise. <laughs> it is. It, is. <laughs> it doesn't have a, quite the pop nope. that you want on something you're selling. But we do have a lot to cover in this episode, and it isn't just a recap. We're going to be doing some new and different stuff on this episode, good buddy. I think you kind of see something uh, in front of you here. There is some weird stuff on the table between <laughs> us, and I'm excited to see what yep. it means. This is a surprise I have for Troy, we're going to talk about today chase mechanics in Pathfinder. We're going to talk about intimidate versus diplomacy. Ah, you don't know about this. You're not prepared for this discussion. What? I just want to throw don't it at you. you. Tell me what I don't know and, and have a conversation about it. We're going to talk about Fungfar, obviously, obviously, <laughs> and uh, and of course. Listener mail, and we got a tough one. We got a tough one in listener mail. Okay. We, we haven't, I think, we haven't challenged ourselves in a couple of weeks. So we're gonna get, get a good challenge going. Before we get into the, the chase mechanics in Pathfinder, though, there's a couple things I want to talk about. One is the sweet island theme intro that we get in this episode. <laughs> what a great idea, the uh, Calypso. Yeah, the Calypso. <laughs> that was so fun. Such a fun way to start it out. And we had just gotten in and gotten settled and gotten, you know all rigged up and ready to go. And it's just a stressful time, you know? We talked about this, I think, in 107, after 107 when we had Coors Lights on the rooftop. There's a way to ease into the session. That was sort of like a very, very, very mini Coors Lights on the rooftop. Yeah, yeah. My ties on the rooftop. <laughs> My ties on the rooftop, uh, exactly. Welcome to Galarian Man! <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a great a great intro to it. But we really get into the thick of it right away. Yeah. We know this creature calls out. I have to be honest, going into the episode... I think I even said it in the last cannon fodder. I said, I honestly don't know if this is a role-playing episode or if it's a uh, combat episode. It turns out to be both in some ways. And I honestly did not expect us to be able to even chase this character out of here. Uh, I thought that that was just a device you were using to let us know that more trouble was coming. Mm -hmm. And we either got to get out of there or stand and face a lot more giants. It's kind of what I went in assuming. Just goes to show you. You can assume one thing and then the session could be completely different. That's like when you said, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen next week. And I said to you, like, I don't know either because I didn't know if you guys would just be like, Something bad's coming. Let's get out of here the other way. If you would chase him, if it would be an attack, if it was this or that. And so I was I was excited that you immediately split the party. I'm like, okay, whatever's going to happen is going to be interesting this episode. Yeah, it just it goes to show you that you're never quite sure what is going what you're going to be up against and you can't assume too much and make your yeah. characters act on assumptions that you haven't rolled on. So doing those extra perception checks, extra knowledge checks to to test theories before you make commitments to what you think the situation is can really result in completely different storylines. So definitely something to keep in mind. Well, we start chasing this guy uh Fung Far down the tunnel mm -hmm. and we find him shortly after in a small cave to the side where he's kind of cowering and scared, and it makes perfect sense. He, he is not exactly the, the brightest bulb, 
and he's <laughs> frightened by his friends getting killed and these murderers just pursuing him down a hall. I want to ask you a quick question that's very specific. Uh-huh. When we got around there and uh, Sir Will and Della began to ha- hatch a little plan to get in there, Della goes invisible and Sir Will kind of has to wait for her word. Mm-hmm. At one point, you had us officially then roll initiative and then execute a surprise round. Mm-hmm. So we have the jump on this creature, obviously. We know that this creature's there and he has not seen us yet. So Della goes, and I can't remember what she did. I think she just got herself into position behind him. Yep. And then it was my turn, and I said, I'm going to hold my action. (laughs) Which you said, quote, great use of your surprise round. (laughs) So uh, I would like to start a new mini segment here called, What Would You Have Done, Troy? So I would just like to know, what would you have done in that situation? Um, As Sir Will, knowing his abilities... Would you have done something other than than uh, just hold your hands? Because I got to be honest, I didn't like it either from a, from a right. surprise round standpoint. But what else can you do when you're not like a caster to prepare for battle? Um, you could have turned the corner and cha- laid down a challenge. So just go ahead and be bold and do it right away. Right, like, the he same already... challenge I did anyway. Yeah, do that it was earlier. Coming. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just, I feel like you have to do something. You, you, know, o- you always feel like you have to do something. Not, to do not that something. you don't strategically hold and ready sure, at the sure. right times, but you, but, but when you don't know what to do, <laughs> you will lean on, like, pick something make and a go decision. with it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, I find that you always, if you make a decision, uh, something interesting is going to happen. One of my old theater professors, Anne Bogart, one of the most famous directors uh, of the American theater, always said this thing when she doesn't, when she was directing, if she's sitting down and she doesn't know, what to do in a scene she just leans forward jumps out of her chair and says I know because that action of getting up out of the chair and declaring I know leads her in a direction to find an answer she makes a decision from that moment and so I try to keep that in mind as a player because sometimes you're like I do not know what to do here. So sometimes I just make a decision. And when I'm a player, oftentimes it's the completely wrong decision. I've broken objects that we needed to unlock special doors because I'm like, well, I'm going to try something. You know, I, I like just making decisions. And sometimes that decision is to do nothing. But in certain circumstances, you're better off just making a choice and then letting everyone else deal with the repercussions. Well, in this case, I mean, you would be right. You do have the benefits of hindsight. But if I would have done that, and had the same roles, chances are things would have worked out in much the same way. Mm-hmm. But what if things from the get-go worked out in a very different way, Troy? What if from the start of the episode, we rewound it uh-huh. and replayed it in a little second chance theater? What? <laughs> Welcome to second chance theater. Oh, lovely to see you, Troy. <laughs> yeah! It's back! So, yeah, Second Chance Theater is back, and, and not what you expect here. We're not doing one of the epic glass cannon fights. That will happen. That will happen sure. again. But in this case, we're going to combo something here that is, is a di- a, an attempt at something new. We're going to give the enemy another chance on this one. And this is in the form of Fung Far trying to get a chance to get away from Sir Will and Della. But in this case, we're just going to have Sir Will do it because all we're really doing is showcasing Pathfinder chase mechanics, which I've never done in a game, and I don't think you've ever done in a game. No, I didn't even know they existed until you told me right right before we started recording. Yep, so I started looking it up and reading up on it, and I'm going to be a little bit shoddy at it, but I want to get it as right as I can, and that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to do a quick chase, and instead of Fung Far dipping into a small 
alcove to just cower in fear, he is going to find another path towards the way out of the caves back where the giants are. Oh, I like that. So we're going to have to, Sir Will's going to have to chase him. Sir Will and Lexington will have to chase him through this cave. Let's see if he gets out. So the way the mechanics work is there are 10 spaces in front of us on a board uh, that I've made out of playing cards. So in these 10 On these 10 spaces, you will be trying to get Fung Far to the last 10th space before uh, I overtake you. And since you had started ahead of me, you will get what is called a head start. So you will already be on the first card of the order before I am. And you just have these playing cards laid out. In right, like literally, a, they're a just bicycle. Yeah, they're just bicycle playing cards. And then on the outside of the cards, I have random cards face down that I've written little obstacles on with DCs for how to address them. So the way that it starts, you... I, you know, before we start, I, I want to say that these mechanics, as they're written, are a topic of debate. Some people like them, some people don't. So one of the reasons I wanted to do this live on the show is I want you, as someone who's never played through them before, mm-hmm. uh, to determine if you like it or not But by the time we get to the end of it, how I'll it give works. Give a little review. Exactly. A bit of a review. Okay. So here's how it works. Your base speed, the character's base speed, is considered to be, in most games, 30 feet. Yep. So each card represents 30 feet. Okay. So we're going to say this is a total chase of roughly 300 feet. The rock troll is 30 feet as well. So so if the rock troll is 30 feet, that means each turn as a move action, he can move one card. As a standard action, he can encounter an obstacle. Okay? Okay. I, my movement speed is 35 feet. So that doesn't change anything because you have to be 10 over the movement speed in order to just get a bonus on your rolls against the obstacles. I got you. So what this does is this takes out that element of just calculating what the opponent's speeds are uh-huh. and just eventually figuring out where they would meet in the middle by math. Mm-hmm. So you take that out of the equation and what you do is you make the faster characters better at getting over the obstacles. Makes Even sense. if the obstacles aren't speed related, what it does is it speeds up the game. I okay? got you. So our speeds are the same, which means really when we're going to start to come into conflict is on those uh, is on those obstacles. All right? Mm-hmm. And the obstacles are randomized. So with the start, you will get a one-card head start because you were ahead of me. Uh, you started ahead of Sir Will and started running, okay? Right. Now, we roll initiative. Roll, Ricka, roll, Ricka, roll, Ricka, roll, Ricka, roll for initiative! All right, that's an eight for Sir Willamette. Uh, Fifteen. For... Fifteen. Okay, I'm sorry. I, not one card, but two cards ahead. You Fung start for the, for the head start. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so You're because toast. because because then if I just rolled a better initiative, I would catch you on the first thing, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. Sure. So uh, you are two cards ahead, and it is now your turn. Okay. So, and so as I do a move action, or my do, standard action is your to move. Move action is to move. So you moved. Now there's no uh, obstacle on this card, so you can move again. I can double move. You can double move, okay. but now your move is over. Right. So there is an obstacle on this card, but you have not seen it yet. You will have to pass it to get off that card. Okay. Okay. So now it's my turn, uh, and I don't roll. I go uh, 60 feet in pursuit. Okay. okay. Now you, it goes back to you. You are on a card with a uh, with an obstacle. Go ahead and turn it over. Let's see what that obstacle is. Okay. And I noticed uh, as you were talking about this that in the Paizo uh, store, they sell these chase cards. There's a bunch of decks. Right. Of, like chase cards one, two, three. Yeah, because they have different settings. All right. Okay. We're just using bicycle cards. So you turn this chase card over I and it's encounter the jack of hearts. It's a one-eyed jack. <laughs> you encounter a pit. <gasps> no. Okay. So you have two choices. Choices with a pit. You can either do a DC 20 acrobatics check to <laughs> no. clear the pit, 
or you can avoid the pit by making a clever DC 15 perception check by finding uh, the little route it. around it. Yeah. All right. Well, that, see, and you were saying beforehand that this is very similar to the Pathfinder Adventure card game. <laughs> yes. Where you can use multiple different skills to bypass the encounters. So in this case, I've got a plus one to acrobatics, which means I would have to roll a 19 or a 20. Not going to happen. I got a plus six to perception. Still not great. DC 15. I got to roll 11 or higher. No, excuse me. Uh, nine or higher. Nine, Nine or high. That's pretty good. Better than 50%. Yes. All right. Come on. Natty 19. Natty 19. I should just backflip over. <laughs> I'm going to wreck on that. Back All right. So what you did is you found like a little narrow ledge by the right. wall that whoa, was not whoa. in the pit. Whoa, 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 whoa. And you pass through to the next spot. So that okay. was your standard action. That's your move action getting onto the next card. Ah, your turn I got you. is done. Okay. All right. So now I go to, okay, and I have to encounter. An obstacle. Okay. So it, I encountered the same obstacle, right? So now You're right I'm at behind the pit, me. Right now. now I'm going to jump the pit because I'm on Lexington. Of course. Come on. I mean, Rex, as we know, Lexington. Lexington. Lexington always passes his acrobatics checks. He sure does, especially good especially with pits. Whenever I'm rolling, <laughs> especially with spiked pits. Okay, so here we go. I will try to jump. Oh, of course, of course. Did you fall? Natural five. <laughs> Natty five. I needed a seven. That's insane, Joe. Me and the natty fives. Okay, so the pit depth, all that kind of stuff, damage, doesn't exist. All that means is I'm now mired for a round on this card. Okay. And I have to spend a full round action getting off the card, which means you're going to get a huge jump. Okay? Awesome. So go, uh, so now you go. So I go one space. There's another obstacle here. So my movement was one space, or one card in this case. Now I got to encounter. Now you have to encounter The Suicide King? No. Uh, (laughs) It's the Queen of Hearts. A collapsing ceiling. No. No. So within the cave, it starts to crumble down. You have these, these options. You can see it with a DC 25 perception check and avoid it entirely. (laughs) You can notice that it's happening and avoid it with a DC 15 knowledge dungeoneering check. Oh, boy. Or you can just let it happen and then climb over it with a DC 15 climb check. Uh, All right, I'm going to go with the climb check. Okay, so we'll say it already fell and you're going to go over it with a climb check. Plus 11 to climb. Plus 11 to climb. This is, I'm going to tell you right now, my early review is, this is kind of fun. <laughs> uh, oh, I failed! A 14! I rolled a 3! That's a 3! Oh, no! So you're stuck climbing up this wall. We go back to Sir Willamette <laughs> in Lexington, stuck in the pit. Oh, no. They're going to have to find a way out. Let's try to pass this uh, acrobatics check. Natural 20. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay, so now you're out. Uh, But that is a full round action to do. So now I'm out, but I'm just there. I think I might have that slightly wrong, but let's just stick with it. I think miring... So if you fail, you're... I think if you fail by five or more, you're mired or something like that. Like it, And I did fail by five or more. So there is that that possibility that I need to use a full round action. But let's say I beat the obstacle, but I haven't moved forward yet. Okay. And now we come back to you, and you're in the same situation. You I didn't to, fail by five or more, though. I only failed by one, but I correct. Still have to so you get just out have to you just have to standard action again to, to beat it. Get out of the climb. Correct. So it's the same. No, no, situation. no. Was it? No, this one was. Um, yeah, yeah. It was the cave ceiling. Oh, it was cave ceiling. Right. So I rolled a natty seventeen. All right. So now you climbed, climbed up and got out. over, and your move action can get you to the next card. And, and there's, there's another, another obstacle. obstacle. There. Okay. Okay. So now I am off, and I can do two move actions. So now I'm at the wall that's collapsed. Right. But I haven't used my standard action yet to get over it. You're just ahead of me. Yeah. And now you have to encounter, ba 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 ba, oh, the King of Hearts, a stalagmite field. No. All right. So now there's no. all these stalagmites sticking up from the ground, and here are your options. 
you can and this is with the way the cards are written they have uh-huh. like clever like w- narrative ways you're getting around it you can find the solution with a dc 20 <laughs> perception check nope you can find the trail meaning the steps the footsteps that got you there before sure. with a dc 15 survival check or uh-huh. make your own path with an escape artist check, DC 15. Oh, wow. So I actually, I have a plus one escape artist, a minus one survival, <gasps> and a plus six perception. Oh, no. So this is going to be hard. You, what was it, DC 19? DC 20 perception. DC 20, so I need a 14 or higher. Oh, this is going to be bad. Come on, this old greedy. Oh, Natty 4. Natty 4! So I am stuck there. Stuck. Uh, and that's Trying my standard to... action, So, but I don't get a move action in this case. Yeah, correct, because you're stuck, right? right. So now I get to try to climb, but I'm going to do this on Sir Will's climb, right? So we'll say he has to get off of Lexington and climb, because he's not going to climb like Lexington on State. Lexington. Yeah, Lexington has a pretty decent climb, but I want to use Sir Will's score here, uh, which is not very good. So this was a DC 15 climb You had other options. To get a... Oh, that's right. I'm... Well, it, it has already it's fallen. It's already fallen, sure. It's already fallen. So let me, let's see. Natural one. Natty one. <laughs> so that's failing by five or more. Which means hope I'm, for fun uh, So now I'm just behind you trying to get over this wall. You're just in front of me trying to get through this stalagmite field. What do you do? I'm just looking for a solution. You keep walking around in circles. Natty 17. Oh, come on. And he breaks out and he's making his way towards the exit. No, no, no. You were mired. So that's a full round action. Now you've beaten that, but you haven't moved oh, to the next I card. I see. Here, okay? okay. So now, now it goes back to Sir uh, Will. No. Can he uh, beat no. the climb check? Natural 12. Uh, no, he does not. He has a plus one climb. So he's just making his way over that collapsed <sighs> ceiling. But he did not fail by five or more. So it won't be a, a, a full round action next so time. So I double move to the final obstacle. Which final obstacle. And it is, oh, how appropriate, a bat swarm. Oh, no. So, <laughs> well, now I don't encounter that this round. It's uh, be that is correct, turn. but yeah. a bat swarm is coming. Okay? Right, and I can now, see the you... light at the end of the tunnel. Exactly, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Can Sir Will climb over this wall? Natty 19! All right, you're he out! He gets over the wall, moves to the next obstacle, but can't encounter it yet. You're at the uh, the bat swarm, and you have... Uh, oh, you know what? You're at the stalagmites. I'm at the bat swarm. You are at the bat swarm. I forgot one mechanic. Okay, you know what? You go. Go ahead. Uh, you are at the bat swarm. Bat swarm is... You can cut your claw your way through it with a CMB check, DC 20. Oh, yeah. A knowledge nature check, DC 15, nope. or a perception check to avoid it entirely, DC 25. Uh, I'm going to use the plus 13 CMB, you Oh, said. you're golden. What'd you say it was? DC 30. <laughs> you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't say that. <laughs> DC 20. So I'm just working my way through seven or higher. Come on. <gasps> oh, no. Natural Oh, so that brings up a new mechanic, okay? So I have an option to to do a full round action to get three cards, to get ahead three cards. But I must pass two obstacles in that one full round action. If I don't, I make no progress. If I fail either of them by five or more, I get mired again, and it's just like really ugly. Uh, So so the first one was, what was that one? That was the stalagmite field, okay? That's the one you're in now. Is this Correct. My field. Correct. That's the one that I'm in now. All very bad for Sir Will. But you know what? I'm going to use Lexington's survival on this. I'm going to use his scent following you left around. Him at the collapse ceiling. No, no. I uh, <laughs> he's with me. He climbs better than Sir Will. He was sure, on the other sure, side okay. waiting for Sir Will. Fair enough. So uh, DC 15 survival uh, failed, but uh, not by five or more. I can't. Um, I'm not sure what happens here. I think we'll we'll kick it back to you, and you uh, just easily get through the bat. bat I had my chance to catch you. Oh, natural one! Natural one! Oh no! Right, I'm gonna try right, it so again. Still hope. Full round action. 
Natural 19. All right, that's one. I moved two cards. I'm on your card now, but I have to pass this roll in order to catch you or right at the mouth of the tunnel. Or you're mired in the bat swarm. Or I'm mired in the bat swarm. Oh, these are all tough for Sir Will. CMB is no good. Uh, knowledge nature is no good. Perception is terrible. I got to go CMB. So you wow. are trying to work your way through it. Sir Will's trying to work his way through it. Here we go, It's that buddy. living ceiling. I will tell bats. you, it's less than 50-50. Natural five failed. This is it, buddy. Uh, seven or above, and I'm out of here. Seven or above, and you get out. Oh, there it is. What did you get? That was a natty 19. Natty 19. And I'm gone. And he's gone. And Sir Will and Lexington pull up at the mouth of the cave with all the giants in the distance. <laughs> the one that got away. He was the one that got away. <laughs> so, your thoughts on the chase mechanic of, of Pathfinder. It sucks. No. <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. Um, we obviously probably fudged a little bit of the rules Yeah, we here. definitely fudged some of it. Um, I know some of it is, because uh, we didn't have the professional cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of it is you should have two cards on each obstacle that has cards, and then you choose which one you face. That's one thing. Um, but I sort of did it in a way that was we faced one card, but you had multiple options. But in the actual one, you still can have multiple options to face one of those two cards. But it usually tends to be a larger area. So if it's running through city rooftops or urban rooftops or uh, running through the jungle. Uh-huh. So it, that quote unquote 30 foot space could have multiple uh Obstacles. You know what I mean? Sure. You understand what I'm saying? But in a cave, I felt like we were kind of in a narrow space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought maybe one per card would be fine. Let me ask you this. Had you caught me, does an encounter start? Well, that's what, yeah, you decide as the GM. If you if you then catch them, you can... There's a myriad of reasons someone could be running. Right. They could be running from a fight. They could be running because they stole something from you. They could be running because they're the good guys. You could be the good guys running away. Sure. So there's a lot of different options. If you get, if you get to their square, it depends on the context. I think it's a very cool mechanic. Would I use it all the time in every single chase thing? No, but to add flavor to a game, like, as you're, all right, so the guy starts to run away. All right, I chase him, and then we like... Let's do chase mechanics. Get out the cards. Here we go. Uh, Yeah, I definitely wouldn't use it all the time, but I think it's a fun way to add just a new element of uh, chance and, you know, kind of a classic board gamey scenario. Yeah, it's like 10 spaces. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Uh, fun. There's also, you can also do it in such a way that the 10 spaces form a circle instead of, in this case of Ah. the story, there was an escape tile. But you can also have it where it's just a a, a war of attrition Mm -hmm. until someone runs out of steam. And so you can keep going in a circle with different obstacles coming up until you eventually chase them or they make a gap of like five cards or something like that. And then they're considered to have gotten away. I'm going to go three and a half stars. Three and a half stars uh, out yeah. of five. Okay. Three and a half stars out of five. I think that's a good... I like the, the fantasy of the game and the sort of like not making everything have this kind of mechanic. But it's a fun thing to do once in a while. Okay. All right. I'm on board. I, I would agree. I think it's a three and a half out of five, but not for the same reason. I think that it could be improved. I think there could be better mechanics to uh, to deal with the chase, and a lot of people have come up with some of those. There's been homebrewed ones that I've read that are interesting, lot, very mechanics heavy, mm-hmm. but they factor in your constitution. They factor in your dexterity. They ah. factor in these little things that are like, how long can you run? How long can you keep passing fatigue checks ah. to see if you're getting fatigued? Stuff like that, which is neat. It's fun. But it is very, very, very crunchy. And mm-hmm. if that's not what you're into and you just want to have the fantasy of the game in a chase, you can totally do that as well. But if the chase is extremely important to the story and you want to feel like you're being true to the characters by letting it be by die rolls, you need to have a mechanic in place. You can't just wing it. Yeah. You know? This has been 
Second Chance Theater. Get on it, Nick Lowe! All right, buddy. I want to move on to the moment when Sir Will does get in here and manages to corner Fungfar. And he gives this speech about yielding. And you say, roll an intimidate check. Well, I say, my intimidate's terrible. Right. Can I, can I do a diplomacy check? And you say, fine. Why did you say fine? And really, what does it come down to? What is the difference mechanically between intimidate and diplomacy? Well, intimidate is used to demoralize. It is a standard action. Correct. But that's not all it does. But yes, that is one thing it can do that diplomacy cannot do 100%. Right. Whereas diplomacy is to take people from, uh, you know, what state they're in to a lower state based on a DC plus their, the charisma modifier of the creature. It's usually like if they're hostile, it's like DC 25 plus their charisma modifier to get them to uh, what's one step below hostile. Uh, unfriendly. Unfriendly. And then from unfriendly to like... Uh, uninterested. But it's not <laughs> that. It's, it's like... like uh, what is it? It's, it's like um, a, not neutral or... Uh, what the hell is it? It's escaping. It's me. where you just don't care. Right. Passive, no, <laughs> apathetic. <laughs> I can't remember. No, there's so many synonyms. Everyone's screaming at their phones right now. It's this, it's this. But anyways, like, those are pretty hard checks. Um, but I don't know the the. You know what, let me, let me reframe it. Yeah. How about uh, diplomacy, you can gather information. You can't really do that with intimidate. No, no you kind of can. But you can't do it by the rules of the game with intimidate. I just mean in uh, when it comes to making someone yield in a combat. Because... You, you can't do intimidate with that. Intimidate is used to demoralize. It has other functions as well. There's feats that are tied into intimidate. You, you told me to roll an intimidate check to get somebody to yield because they're so scared of you, they put down their weapons. I was wrong. Okay. <laughs> so you think that it should be some form of diplomacy, but yeah. that the anger and the rage that you're using maybe to do that is diplomatic in a way. If you, Yeah, and if you, if you do use intimidate and you do succeed on demoralizing them, they're shaken for a round. And then in that next round, maybe you'd get a, a bonus to your diplomacy to make them yield. But yeah, I guess you're probably supposed to use diplomacy. What have you learned uh, since we recorded? Well, I've learned that, you, that uh, demoralizing is not the only thing that intimidate does. It also, you, there is also a coercion mechanic, it's called, where similar to gather uh, information, you have to spend, I think it's 1d4 times 10 minutes uh, working on them to, to coerce them and then for several hours they do what you want to do I think in the case of making an opponent yield in combat GMs are well within their right to let uh, a strong half-orc badass barbarian roll an intimidate check to make them f- be feared into not fighting anymore Sure, I think that that's relevant but what I think that some people don't do is do what you did and allow in a, sim- a similar situation where Sir Will is yelling we're going to kill you if you don't stop it they won't uh, let the person roll a diplomacy check. But I think you absolutely should because that is a, that is a diplomatic maneuver. It is a, using a fear-based diplomatic maneuver to get the results you want, which is the ceasing of violence, the ceasing of fighting in order to make progress in some way. And so I think that using diplomacy there is completely reasonable and a good idea. And what the difference really boils down to, to me, is the after effect. Mm-hmm. So... The effects before the check are the same, essentially. They look the same. But you could roll diplomacy or you can roll intimidate, whatever your character is better at, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But the after effects are different. If you're utilizing intimidate, that person who yielded should be hostile against the person that did that to them and should be in some way 
trying to figure out the best way to escape as soon as possible. Whereas if the character used fear-based diplomacy, it might not be out of the question to let the character, kind of like the way you did with Fung Far, at least the way it seemed, be docile and say, like, these people really don't seem like they're going to kill me, and I will do what they need until they let me go, but I don't hate them because they let me live. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, but you could do that with Intimidate as well. Like, if you don't drop your weapons, we're going to kill you. All right, please, please don't kill me. You roll Intimidate and they're like, please, please don't kill me. You know, it's really sure. an emotional thing. And, and a lot of it has to do with the emotional state of the character. I chose to make Fung Far, you know, frightened for his life. Yeah, like, yeah. in the book, he just fights to the death. Sure. You know, I just thought that was a more interesting choice. And then when you, you know, so yeah, I don't know if there's, you can really have a hard and fast rule for this. Like, Oh, you no, want, you do. That does, oh, that, oh, there is a hard well, and fast not, rule. Well, not for diplomacy. I'm, no, there isn't a hard and fast rule for using yielding diplomacy <laughs> or intimidate for yielding. That's sort of up to you. But there is a hard and fast rule in the intimidate skill for how that opponent maintains a certain hostility to you during that time ah. and will try to kill you or run away from you the first chance they get uh, or like turn their back on you or do something to screw you over the first chance they get whereas that's not written anywhere in diplomacy uh-huh. so anyway the point being I think that they're interchangeable before the act but I think that as a GM you can weigh in which one the character chose to use uh-huh. in how the the uh, receiver recipient of that check reacts to them after the fact if that makes sense yeah that makes you know, sense to some level anyway let's talk about Fungfar by the way, the, that was indifferent, was what we were talking about. Indifferent. To you didn't even look it up, did you? <laughs> no, I did. Oh, you did. Okay. Hostile and friendly, indifferent, friendly, and helpful. That's right. That's right. So, Fung Far. We meet this Fung Far. Fung Far. So, tell me, uh, is this characterization something that you had even thought of in the event of capture? Um, you know, is that like something you had prepared, or was this completely off the cuff? Uh, a little bit of both. I was thinking as we were setting up, I was like, I wonder if they don't just outright kill him, because you guys are pretty much kill first, don't ask questions later kind of group. Um, but then I was like, if they do grab him, I need to give this guy a personality. And so I was thinking about this as the chase was happening. Oh, so not before the session. Yeah, well, a little bit before, but I wasn't, I didn't have like dialogue planned or anything. I just knew I wanted him to be, uh, you know, an idiot. <laughs> uh, with an intelligence of five, I kind of wanted to play up that, that okay. aspect of him. Well, you nailed that. <laughs> Fr- frustratingly so, to, to skid. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's what it should be. You should be getting, like, misinformation, information badly, you know, uh, digested through him because he's obviously not in a position of power in this group. Um, but he did give you a little little chunks here and there. Did we miss the, anything? Uh, you definitely missed stuff. Yeah. In in what we could have asked him or he could have told us? Uh, yes, a little bit. Damn. Yeah. Man, I tried to really get everything I could out of that convo. I mean, you guys missed something. I, I kind of thought I was being... I, maybe I'm saying too much. I thought I was being heavy-handed with it, and you guys totally missed it. Huh. Um, but yeah, which is fun, because I, I, I go back and forth always like, oh, I really want them to know what I'm talking about, and then other times being like, nope. I'm going to let them just not know that they or didn't find earn that or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, a nice new uh, NPC to add to our collection. Maybe we'll see him again one day. <laughs> Fong far. And then, of course, Della just brands his hand. And then she just chops <laughs> off. <laughs> She's so brutal, man. So let's talk uh, just for one quick second before we get to listener mail about getting out of the cave. You're out. 
So we finally got out. That's amazing. You know, a few episodes ago, you asked us where we thought we were. And at that point, what was the answer? Was the answer we're pretty close to the to the end of the cave? You thought we were towards the end. I think Skid was like, I have no idea. And Matthew and Grant thought middle. Yeah. And Matthew said middle, closer to the end. Yeah. And Grant thought middle, middle. Yeah. And so it was closer to the end. Yeah, you were one. That last room that you were in, you went down the passageway and you're out. Right. But it's several hundred feet still. Sure, right? sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was there was no other major finds there or encounters there or anything like that. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> nothing that we nothing that we were able to see. Well, yeah. we come out and oh, it's so neat to get back outside again. It's been, it's been a few apps, so that was refreshing for me. And then to have this blood in the water. Yeah. And then Nestor going solo. Love it. Oh, God, I just want to be the rogue so bad. <laughs> Love it when he sneaks up. And now, as far as these creatures are concerned, I'm I'm hoping that he doubles back and I mean my argument is let's just not do it because let's <laughs> just run back into the cave the last thing I need is Sir Will to just get carried off of Lexington and then dropped <laughs> from 100 feet so I am that'll be my vote you know that in advance uh, but we'll have to see what happens next week it's up to Skid we sure will yeah it is it's up it to is, Skid this is one of those instances where it's completely up to one character one player <laughs> All right, buddy. Oh, I got a tough one it? for you. This is not going to be easy. Oh, boy. But uh, we like a challenge. Let's cue it, Joe. This is uh, Listener Mail International Edition. Oh, international. This one coming in from Jackie in Japan. Oh. This is our first from Japan, if I'm not mistaken. Jackie from Japan writes in telling us a frustrating story about how she was in a campaign where right off the bat her character was not really involved. Mm. And it went a few sessions and she just felt like she wasn't even in the room. And then the GMs, there was kind of a co-GM situation, like we talked about on Canafighter a couple uh. times ago. And they decided that they had misunderstood some of the rules. This was not a Pathfinder game. They had misunderstood some of the rules and some of the world state. And they had to kind of reboot it. And it made her character hyper-irrelevant. And she like loved this character and this backstory and everything. And they were like, you just need to change your character. And she was really frustrated by this experience. Mm. And it, it brought up this question. If a GM and or player realizes that the way their character was made after the first few sessions is just not working with the lore of the game, it's just not fitting uh, with this particular story, what should the GM do? Should they reset the PC and retcon the PC? She's actually bringing up this question from a cannon fodder a while ago, which she is on now, where she... uh, where we talked about retconning. Uh-huh. She was like, what about retconning your player character's build from the beginning? Or should they, or should the GM work with what the character already did and change the campaign or story to fit the character? This is a really difficult question. So I kind of want to, na- and we've had this experience, both of us. Mm-hmm. So I want to narrow it into a slightly more simpler question to start, and then we can expand if you want. Sure. The question is, when a PC is consistently coming to... I'm sorry, when a player is consistently coming to you with a story and background and motivations for their character that you know just are not fitting, and over and over they're bringing this to you, what do you do? How do you approach that problem? Oh, boy, well, 
I have so many ways I want to answer this. I, I had like a million things I was thinking as you were going through this scenario. It sounds like there were a lot of communication problems, right? Yeah, up there, front. there mistakes were made. Yeah, mistakes, mistakes were, were definitely made. made. But um, and I think that more so we're focusing here on let's say you're as a GM, you know your world state, you know everything that's right. you know going to be going on. And maybe you weren't enough involved in character creation either way. Or maybe you were and you thought it was going to be something and you didn't read far enough ahead. And now you realize that, like, that makes no sense. What do you do? Do you retcon that character's backstory or do you change the campaign to fit the the character's backstory? Right. Let's say some horrific thing happened and you guys didn't talk before the first session. And they just showed up with this character that totally doesn't fit in. Right. Huge mistakes were made. But let's say that that happened. Now we've got to deal with it. Um Oh boy. I mean, I think you have to just if if the GM is going to be completely uh sort of inflexible with um finding a way for your elaborate backstory to fit in, then you've got to kind of strip away. I'm going to give the GM advice and then the player advice. You you as a player, you need to strip away some of the stuff that you know is just not going to work, and then you need to bring in stuff that you think it is going to work. And that needs to happen directly with the GM. So if for some reason you didn't have your conversations before the campaign started, you need to have those conversations right now. Okay, so my backstory isn't on par with your story. Okay, cool. Wish we had talked about this before. But let me say I'll strip some of this away and focus more on this. What else can I do? Let's work so that so you're not talking by about, session two and three, I'm in this story. So you're not truly talking about retconning or no. changing the character. You're talking about adjustment by elimination. You're just going to not talk about some of those backstory things that you thought were pivotal and focus on some other backstory things that might be more related? Yeah, I mean, this is why I always say don't come in with a 90-page backstory. Yeah, That's yes. the worst. That's one Couldn't of the worst more. things you can do because then you've left yourself no wiggle room to discover this character through gameplay. You know what I mean? I, I think you do your, a disservice to yourself as a player to have everything set in stone. You can have ideas of what this character is, ideas of what they're family might be like and and this and some things can be set in stone but you want to leave gaps to fill out as you learn this i mean i always say that when i play pcs i go through three or four sessions before i even find the voice i try a bunch of different voices and whatnot so i try to leave it as as open as possible so i think because it's through the adventuring that you learn more about this character and we've talked about this on cannon fodder leave those backstory elements open be a little more loose with them don't write everything down to the T I mean look at what Skid did with Nestor and the killing of his father did he write that whole thing before we even ran into Nestor in that cage you know like I mean, I'm sure he had some ideas of it, but it didn't come out for several episodes. He probably didn't even know when he created this character and handed me the sheet that Nestor had killed his father. Right. Maybe he did. Skid, knowing Skid, he probably had that idea, but he didn't have right, it set but, in but stone. But writing it all out, how old he was, where it happened, when it happened, how it happened, having that all written before your first game starts is a mistake. Yeah. You're, you're committing yourself too much to something that might not fit the lore. Yeah, so you know, you, you definitely want to do your homework. You want to show show up prepared to your sessions, but you don't want to overthink it. So then the GM has has nothing, no way of doing this because now the GM, if they really want to be super nice, has to find a way to work in your crazy story yeah. to what, what the world that they've spent twice as long as you've spent preparing, and that's right. that's tough for the GM. And let me jump in there and say that as a GM, I've been faced with this problem and i'm sorry to say jackie i don't change the adventure to meet the character's backstory that that doesn't fit at all i add elements to the story that make the character's backstory relevant and just like you do in giant slayer troy but i don't 
I don't change like the ultimate villain because you wrote an ultimate villain backstory. Yeah. That is now you kind of did that with Giant Slayer, but it's an ancillary like third party villain. So there's another party in the mix, which is fun. That's that's a different idea, and I, I like that concept. But if your character's uh, point or purpose is dead set on one certain thing, and it is discovering the tomb of this pharaoh in Egypt. And your adventure is set in, you know, Norway, <laughs> like <laughs> in the mountains of Norway. It's kind of like, uh, well, I mean, I, I'm not going to rewrite the adventure to find a mystic hidden pyramid in Norway. Like th- those are the kind of things that you have to make the, ca- the the player realize that they need to fit into the mold of the pre-written story a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, look at episode 100 when we're introduced to Pembroke. Pembroke is wandering the wilderness, uh, going off of some uh, ancient text he read, trying to find the tomb of the Whispering Tyrant, you know? I, that's not in my preparation, you know? Now, I could maybe throw that in somewhere, but, like, I want to be true to the lore of Galarian. If you guys don't go anywhere near where that actually is in the story, I'm not just going to place it there so that Pembroke eventually finds his mission. Right. But look at the way Pembroke just... I, I, what I what I needed for Skid to do was find a reason to travel with Lork. You need to. I don't want you just because it's con, it's the convention. Like you're going to join up with Lork because this is what we're going to do for this us. This is the story we're playing. Right. Yeah, I want him to have a real reason to be a part of that. For him to abandon his other mission. And at the end of the day, it became like he wanted one last chance at do, going on an adventure before he died, having seen his own death. And what was dropped right in his lap, Lork Iron Tusk. Yeah, who it, it's just the promise of adventure, right? Yeah. There. So you know, as a player, definitely do your preparation, but leave gaps. If you if you have everything set in stone and you can't the gm has has nothing to work with in that case and as a gm you know make sure you're talking to your players beforehand so you can avoid these situations before session one true yeah you want to get out ahead of this problem both as a gm and a player you should be integrally involved in the creation of the characters when you're a gm Mm -hmm. and as a player anything that you're unsure about or doubtful about with the campaign you should ask your gm direct questions yeah they may not answer some of them but the ones that they can give you some clues or tips on should help you to make a relevant character i mean that's what a good like a good gm if you ask say like what should i take for my second favorite enemy (laughs) what is going to happen in the upcoming story that'll be relevant a good gm would tell you here's uh don't pick this for example don't pick like undead because there's no undead in the story Mm -hmm. they they would give you some options to choose from that are going to be relevant you know i stand by my decision (laughs) (laughs) i love inside jokes we're having fun (laughs) (laughs) great question Great fod today, buddy. We did yeah, a lot. Yeah, that was that was a fun one and a, juicy. and a and a great question from Jackie. That that is a tough one, and I do I do feel your pain. That is rough. But the other thing, that, the last thing I need to say to you as a player is just to reiterate: this is something that Troy has said to me over and over, and and I don't like it, but. I, I think it's trying has, to appreciate it. I think it has to be the case. I, you know, there's a lot of things I don't like in this world that are true. And I think that one <laughs> I say there's a lot of things I don't like about Troy. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of things I don't like in this world that are true. And I think one of them is that when you make a character for one of these games, it's not all yours. 
It's yeah. not completely your character. The GM, by default, owns some portion of that character. So you have to give a little bit. You have to leave some things open to interpretation and open to change with your GM. And being too staunch on that is not really going to get you anywhere. That said, you don't also don't want a GM who's going to be completely undiplomatic and not try, at least, to take concepts that you really want to do and get them into the campaign in some way. You want to meet on a on a middle ground. Yeah. But it's a hard thing to do, and hey, that's what makes role-playing games so great. If they weren't difficult, then we wouldn't even have a show, and we wouldn't have a podcast. So, we, What would we be doing? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> We'd be uh, professional baseball players, probably. Ah, yes, athletes. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> All right, buddy. I appreciate you trying out the chase system with me. I'm glad that you gave it uh, 3.5 stars out of 5. Could have no. been worse. Could have no, been worse. I think it's a fair, fair rating. <laughs> wait, 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 wait a minute. We're like ready to end the show here and i completely forgot huge pieces of information that we have to what? that we have to discuss the 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 tease for the new content yesterday. oh god this has been on our list the entire We've show got so much going on yeah. i can't even think straight <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, it's it's been a hell of a week. Uh, we have got new content dropping on our Patreon that is exclusive to Patreon subscribers only at the five dollar tier and up. A whole new show, a yeah. whole new show. Uh, if you haven't been over to our Patreon to check it out, you can go to the website. You don't even have to pledge to listen to the one hour ish prologue to it, which will give you an introduction to the new series that we're about to launch. This is not the a f- full official second weekly podcast. Now, it is bonus content for Patreon subscribers only at the $5 tier that is uh, an ongoing story. It's not going to be as consistent and as regular as the GCP, but it will be semi-regular and it will you will see characters return assuming they live and I I am very very excited about it. I want to I just want to thank the our Patreon supporters so much and this is my the only way that I the best way I can think of 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 thanking them. I am GMing the game Troy is playing in the game uh-huh. all new characters same cast except plus one yep so we add in a new member of the cast for this show and uh, I think that you guys are really gonna enjoy it so please check that out and then also one last little tidbit before we get out I was on an interview with the boards alive podcast which you guys did you and skid did yeah uh, last summer ish right yeah uh, in 2016 they are fantastic such nice guys and they had me on as a guest for the entire show we talked board games we talked Pathfinder we talked RPGs uh, their, their whole behind the screen segment about being a better GM it was a, a lot of fun and I can't thank those guys enough so please head over to their website at uh, uh, at Boards Alive, and you'll see the 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 episode just came out on Sunday, so it's up there. You should be you should check it out. It's so funny. The same night that you were recording that, I was going live with the No Direction podcast, and for that one moment, I felt like we were professionals. <laughs> yes. like, uh, Joe, yep. you make sure you watch my uh, me going live on No Direction. You're like, sorry, I'm recording Boards Alive tonight. <laughs> I'm already on an interview, <laughs> and then by midnight, that feeling was gone. <laughs> And we were back to just being a couple of idiots. I had a lot of fun with those guys, though, and we had a bunch of our fans show up for it. But if you hadn't had a chance to listen to it, I thought it went pretty well. Those guys are really cool. It's great to see more Pathfinder-focused podcasts out there. And we had a really good chat. We talked for about an hour and a half. So if you hadn't had a chance to check it out, uh, give them a follow on Twitch and go to their website and watch. Awesome. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. We will see you guys next week. Or, uh, sorry, Troy, why don't you give them a We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. (laughs) (laughs) It was so genuine. (laughs) It's funny because it's true. (laughs) 